Mitch, I have a question for you. So what is something you think you could do to prevent needing to go to the emergency room? Not riding those little rental scooters okay. around. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Like that's top of top of mind. That's good. Um, wear shoes when you bike. I don't oh, know. Like, what are we thinking? Nice. Yeah. Okay. Nice. I like. Both, um, I like both those things. Although the shoes when you bike, I haven't seen many people with that, but I've definitely seen a lot of scooter injuries. I was gonna say, get your health screenings. Oh, sh- oh, yeah. Okay, that'll keep you out of there. Sure. Well, I mean, that could help, right? Like your blood, sh- like know your blood sugar. I think blood sugar and diabetes is a big thing. Okay. But I, I yeah. could be wrong. I don't know. All right. So Troy is going to be today on the episode, like the ghost of health future. Hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he's often told us, Mitch, that, you know, he's seen the ultimate conclusion of health practices in the ER that could have been minimized or prevented. So we asked him today to give us five things that Troy has seen as his career as an emergency room doc that could have been prevented. They wouldn't have had to see the ghost of Troy Madsen health future. That's right. Had they perhaps paid attention or or done these things or well, I I don't know exactly how we're going to frame this, but we're going to find out. So this is who cares about men's health information, inspiration, and a different interpretation of men's health. My name's Scott. I bring the BS. The MD to my BS is Dr. Troy Madsen. I'm here, Scott, and excited to talk about this. And he's a who cares about men's health convert. It's Mitch. Hey, I think we should get, if he's going to be like the ghost of future health, we should get him like a cloak. Yeah. And, like, so he can like menacingly point and like be foreboding. <laughs> right. I think that would be good. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> I like it. So You're going right. to be like the, the Ebenezer Scrooge. I have my arm around pointing to the future. Like, this is your future, Mitch. Yeah. <laughs> that's <Yes>. right. <laughs> Unless you make changes now. I mean, and that's the whole point, right? Like the, yeah. the ghost of Christmas future, the whole point is, this is your potential future, but you could prevent this future uh-huh. if you make some changes or do some things. Now, there is okay. one thing I do want to say. I don't know what your list looks like, Troy, but yeah. I was concerned when I asked you to have this conversation that I didn't want it to come across like these are all things that somebody has control over. And there's total personal responsibility here because there's, oh, a, yeah. there's a concept called social determinants of health. And that basically says that, you know, there are different factors that are out of your control that go into your health, like yeah. socioeconomic status, your education, sure. where right. you live. You know, do you live in a safe neighborhood? Are you even able to exercise? Do you live in a neighborhood where pollution is super high? Yeah. Those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, are there any other issues that we'd want to keep in mind here as we go through this list? Well, just simple genetics. You know, there's only so much we can control, but then there are just genetic factors and things that we just have no ability to control. So, I think really the focus here is more just things that maybe you can do now to prevent that visit in the future while understanding that we all face certain limitations, whatever those limitations are, and we just do the best we can. So, yeah, these are just some potential barriers you might face, but that doesn't mean that you should give up. You should still try to do what you can. Yeah, Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. While accepting that you can't prevent everything. All right. So, Troy, without any further ado, uh, let's go over Troy Madsen, the ghost of health future. Yeah. The five things you've seen as an ER doc that could have been prevented. We'll start with number five. Was this a hard list to make, by the way? Uh, it was a hard list because there were so many things <laughs> to put on the list. So oh. I'm going to just like, oh, wow. yeah, it's just, there are so many things I have seen people in the ER for that I've thought, you know, I don't want to end up in the ER with this thing. What can I do to prevent it? Okay. And, and, and I'm not blaming them for being in the ER for that thing because things just happen. 
but yeah, it, it okay. is tough because there's so many things. All right. Number five. So number five, we're going to start it off right right at the top with heart attack and stroke. And I'm going to put both of those together because they kind of work the same way where you have your blood vessels and they build up cholesterol in it and plaques. And then that cuts off the blood supply. And that then leads to either a heart attack or a stroke. And that's just the one thing oh, you just don't want to end up in the ER with. And Oof. and if there's one thing that's that's going to kill you, it's it's a heart attack. You know, that's that's one of, that's one of the top killers of Americans is heart attacks. Those numbers have gone down because we've gotten better at prevention. And then there's strokes where you have a stroke and usually they don't lead immediately to death, but a lot of times just the disability it creates just down the road, mm-hmm. you just can't function well and that eventually can lead to death. So when you talk about saving lives, we're talking about heart attacks and strokes, something I have seen so many times in the ER. And the prevention here, I'm just going to keep it very simple because we've talked about it so many times, Mediterranean diet. Oh, yeah. it's, I love the Mediterranean diet because so many studies, they've looked at that specific outcome, really focusing maybe more on heart attack than on stroke, but it also relates to strokes. And they've shown the Mediterranean diet reduces the risk of heart attack and stroke without question, study after study. So that's why I tell myself, you know, anything I can do to promote this diet um, rather than all these other diet fads that are out there, this is like the one diet that really has great science, great evidence behind it. Um, It reduces that risk of heart attack. It reduces the risk of ending up in the ER with potentially something that's a a life-changing event, either because it leads to a an ability, you know, where your, your heart isn't functioning as well as it as it should, or you know, in, in some cases, leads to loss of life. So, anything you can do to prevent that, and number one on my list to do that would be the Mediterranean diet. And what's right. it, what I like about the Mediterranean diet is that, as someone who in the past has hasn't been as financially stable, doesn't even know if I have insurance, et cetera, like it, sometimes you hear about these different health fads and how to eat healthy and it can be really expensive and really hard to like buy, you know, afford that kind of um, diet stuff. But the Mediterranean diet, like I just got a book actually, which was, um, I can't remember the title right off the top of my head, but it was a Mediterranean diet on a budget. And it really mm-hmm. focuses on just increasing vegetables, minimizing portions of meat, et cetera. And so keeping those ideas in the back of your mind and maybe getting a few recipes, like it's not undoable and it can actually be done pretty affordably. I think this notion of how much it costs, like the processed foods you're buying in the grocery store, the pre-prepared foods. I was in the grocery store the other day and there was a bag of chips for six bucks. I'm like, what (laughs) happened? Yeah. I'm spending six bucks for a bag of chips for six bucks. You can get some fruits and vegetables, you know? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So, so it's kind of a replacement thing a little bit. I I have a question though, Troy. I mean, I would imagine like, as you were saying that I was thinking, well, I'm a listener. I was like, well, I got to switch over to the Mediterranean diet, but I think anything you can do to move towards that, right. Right. Would would be of benefit, right. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to do it exactly. But if you're moving maybe more towards that, you still get some benefits. Exactly. And that's what lots of studies have shown. Also, if you can just increase your fruits and vegetables and, and even one study we talked about once talked about just going up to like three servings a day. So if you have, or if you just have very few servings, like maybe you're just having a little bit of fruit here and there, try and get that to three servings a day. You'll see benefits just from that. 
All right. Awesome. That was a good one. Makes sense, right? Heart attacks, Mitch. Yeah. How come we didn't yeah. come up with that? Heart attacks. Well, I just I mean, scooters, think about man. the ER. Scooters. There's always the scooters. <laughs> well, but, but when you talk about saving lives in the okay. ER, you're talking about heart attacks. Gotcha. We have four more to go, so scooters could still make an appearance. <laughs> it, might, it might be on there somewhere. All right. All right. Yeah. Number four. Number four on the list, and you already kind of alluded to it, Scott, is diabetes. I see uh, so many complications of diabetes, and these are complications of the disease itself, which can lead to heart disease and heart attacks. But then diabetes makes you more prone to infections, crazy severe infections. You talk about, you know, the whole flesh-hanging bacteria. You've heard about that. We call it necrotizing fasciitis. Diabetes makes you more prone to that in various lo locations, on your legs, in the groin, like just just awful infections. What? I didn't know that. Oh, I yeah. didn't know that was a thing. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Ooh. Oh, no. it's I've seen that many times, and it is awful. Okay. So, again, we're talking about awful, awful things that I have seen that I'm just like, anything you can do to prevent it. And then there are just the complications of just high blood sugar, what we call diabetic ketoacidosis, where people will maybe have some kind of infection, and that just sets things off with their blood sugar to where they get severely dehydrated and very acidotic. Their blood level is very acid, like very acidotic, and that requires admission to the intensive care unit. It's a life-threatening condition. So what I'm getting at here with diabetes would be anything you can do to lose weight. Uh, if you're overweight, that's the number one thing you can do to prevent diabetes is focus on weight loss. Really? Um, so less than, less than, well, I guess your diet would have to play into that. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, your diet's going to play into it as part of the weight loss, but anything you can do to improve your weight, like people who are pre-diabetes, even early diabetes on oral medications, um, that's something that can be reversed or at least improved if you can lose weight. Getting back to our core four, in this case, sure, it's diet. I'm going to, I'm going to relate this one a little bit more to exercise, exercising, okay. just getting out there three, three times a week, 30 minutes each time. If you're not doing that right now, that's a great place to start. That's going to help reduce weight, prevent diabetes and everything bad that comes with it. Plus the exercises we learned in another podcast, I think we did. Didn't we learn that? Yeah, we did. When we talked about, um, Weight training for all of us, we learned that um, physical exercise, especially strength training, helps um, prevent insulin mm -hmm. sensitivity. So yeah. that, that would also help. That's, that's another mechanism why exercise is good. Yeah, exactly. So, okay. All right. Well, I got one, Mitch. How about that? I was you did. For you. Um, good for you. But I, but I came in at number four. Yeah. By the way, are these ranked, ranked in any particular order, Troy, or like from um, least, least to worst or worst to least or... Uh, no, or they're just not. Kind of, okay, so because I, right. I see all of these things, and again, I, I guess in terms of worst, when you're talking about the most cases of of actual death in the ER, it, it would be number it, that would be that would be number five on our list on the heart attacks. But oh, okay, yeah, it's not it's not in any particular order. All right, let's go to number three. Okay, number three is asthma and emphysema. Mm. So oh. this is not at all an uncommon thing to see in the ER. And emphysema or COPD is just an awful thing to have. It just gets worse and worse and worse over time. And there's not a lot you can do for it. You know, you can do some medications. People will go on steroids for a while. Steroids have their own side effects and own problems. People then go on oxygen. And then over time, they just turn the oxygen up more and more and more until it won't go any higher. And then they'll get some kind of respiratory illness. And that puts them over to the edge. And that's it. 
I've seen it way too many times. People with just severe COPD in particular uh, who come in and, you know, they're at that point where, where you say, well, we're going to intubate you. We're going to put a breathing tube in, but you know, and they know that they're probably never going to come off that breathing tube. Mm. And that's a really awful situation. So trying to avoid getting to that point, this really gets at smoking. And yeah. we've talked about smoking a bit before. If you smoke, try and cut down. That's going to reduce your risk of COPD. Um, obviously, if you can quit, try to quit. Uh, but COPD, it's an awful disease. And you just hate to see, you know, as people progress with this disease, it, as it gets worse and worse. And it's so frustrating because I'll see them in the ER, I'll give them antibiotics, you know, try and sort of patch them up and help them out. But over time, it's you just know it's just going to keep getting worse until, you know, there's sort of that inevitable outcome, which is just an awful thing to know is down the road. So try to prevent it. Number one thing would be quit smoking. All right. Yeah. Well, and it's not just uh, tobacco either. The uh, There was a recent study. It's still early days in the like long-term studies, but Johns Hopkins did an article last week about how people who are vaping uh, have an increased chance of asthma and COPD. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's even if you think you're like skipping a lot of those negative things, that was something that was pitched before. Sometimes these, these vapes are also being shown to cause it too. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. You brought that up for sure. How about Mitch bringing the research? Hey, I love Hopkins. it. I love it. Citing my alma mater. So proud of you, Mitch. No problem. <laughs> I got to step it up, man. I got to step it up. All right. All right. Number two. Number two, and this is a shout out to Mitch because we're going to talk about trauma now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> so not just scooters, but all trauma in general. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we see so much trauma in the ER, but maybe not as much as you think we do. Because I think some people think of the ER as just like crazy, crazy trauma, like one thing after another, after another. But we do see a lot of traumatic injuries. And these injuries range from, you know, cutting your finger with a glass that broke. Yep. <laughs> that may have happened yep. to Mitch once. As me. Yeah, to severe motor vehicle collisions. Um, how do you prevent this kind of stuff? Well, you know, occasionally I do see cases of people and it's, and, and I'm trying again to to think in terms of prevention with trauma. Um, one certain risk for trauma as it comes to motor vehicles, well, two certain risks. Number one would be uh, being sleep deprived, not sleeping well, drowsy driving. And then number two uh, would be substance use. Um, sure. So again, in terms of prevention, sometimes with trauma, just things are going to happen. You know, obviously we try not to put ourselves in situations where we're going to get injured. Um, but in terms of prevention, uh, try not to drive when you're drowsy. Um, that can be a big thing. I've seen some some just awful accidents where people have been like single car rollovers where they've been driving oh. drowsy and just trying to power through. You know, yeah, you see those things. I've seen just awful cases like truck drivers, like transportation who have been drowsy and and uh, have led to fatalities. It's just oh. awful. Um, you know, and then you see people who were in that accident in the ER. Uh, and then certainly substance use is a big, big thing for us with trauma, whether it's motor vehicles, using power tools, ATVs, riding on scooters, even bicycles, you know, uh-huh. bicycle accidents while intoxicated, all things that uh, I've seen many times in the ER. So uh, certainly something to avoid to prevent a visit to the ER. And if you're going to ride those scooters, like Mitch suggested, have have a helmet, wear a helmet, right? Is that, is that the, yeah, I, I've that's, seen, that's people, I've seen more people, are you seeing it? 
I am seeing yeah. a few people do that now. I mean, Good. you know, the majority still know, but I'm seeing a few. You'll see them on rented scooters and they have a helmet or they have a backpack and they've got a helmet attached to it. Yeah, yeah that's that's great because I have never seen anyone on a rented Ooh. scooter with a helmet on. So okay. I'm glad to hear some people are starting to do it because that's a big thing. All right. We are here. He's cloaked in his scary <laughs> ghost of health future cloak. He's been pointing at each one of these, five, four, three, two, and now he's pointing at number one. Imagine if it just kind of all of a sudden appears in space, <laughs> the letters of number one. What is number one? <laughs> number one, psychiatric emergencies. Really? Oh, okay. We see uh, so many psychiatric emergencies. And by psychiatric emergencies, I'm talking about people who are brought in after a suicide attempt. Um, who have overdosed on any number of pills or combined with alcohol or different substances um, to people who are brought in, fortunately, in advance of that, who are contemplating suicide, who either decide to come in or are brought in by a family member or people who just feel just completely overwhelmed and just don't know what to do. And the only option they really have is to go to the ER. So again, getting to the core four, the mental health piece of it, um, anything you can do in advance to recognize maybe some challenges you're facing or challenges a family member or a friend is facing. Um, I think that's time well spent to try and get in to talk to a therapist or get in to see a professional uh, to hopefully avoid that visit to the ER. The takeaway here is recognize the importance of your mental health, take the steps to take care of yourself and try to help others also in your life who, who may, you know, be, may be needing help to avoid that, potential visit to the ER down the road. And some of those warning signs we've talked about on past episodes, um, men tend to show it in terms of anger. A lot of times, um, I think fatigue is another one we've talked about. What are some of those other kind of warning signs? And, and I think uh, us guys too also don't, I don't know, you know, it's like with mental health stuff, it's not like physical stuff. Like I can see when I've broken my arm and it's undeniable evidence sitting right there. I've broken my arm. Yeah. A lot of the times, right? Like if a bone's poking out, you broke your arm. But I think a lot of times we might be experiencing symptoms of, you know, early onset symptoms of mental health issues, but we don't recognize them or we don't take them seriously. What are some other things to look out for? A lot of times some people will just become very withdrawn. And then sometimes people will start to talk very openly about suicide mm -hmm. and, you know, and, and even say things like, or they'll start to give away possessions, things like that. I've seen that. Certainly there are other factors, uh, you know, they're kind of established risk factors like single older men uh, are more likely to attempt suicide and be successful with suicide. Having firearms in the home is something as well that is a predictor of successful suicide. That's something that we see in the ER as people who have attempted suicide with firearms. So those are things I think just to be aware of and just recognize those changes in people in your life. And it's something that often happens after kind of a life-changing event, whether it's loss of a spouse, uh, relationship changes, job changes, uh, those major life events. Uh, so just be aware as people are going through those events, just be in touch, check in, how are you doing? Um, kind of watch for some of those red flags if things just don't seem quite right. It's always a tough conversation to have, but I think you can at least, you know, not, not necessarily have to bring up suicide per se, but just how are you doing? How's your, how's your mental health? Or, you know, we've talked about too, just trying to meet up with people for lunch or something, or just go out and do something where you can just chat. And that's often very helpful and may also be something where you, you may identify some of those challenges they're facing. All right. Well, that's the list of uh, things Troy has seen. 
uh, as an ER doc, it's kind of he's the end of the road, sees these. I don't know the the outcome. <laughs> the end of the road. Oh, God. Sorry. <laughs> <It's> so depressing. <laughs> Gosh. Um, all right. It, it really went dark. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but now we have to open the door, open the windows, and say, "What day is it, young boy?" <laughs> It's Christmas Day. <laughs> None of this actually happened. We can prevent it. Okay. So that's that's the point. That's, that's the takeaway. All right, we can all right. prevent all this stuff. It's pretty dark. And Thanks that's what I often on that one. <laughs> yeah. But I've often tried to remind myself of that. Like no one, or at least very few people, wake up in the morning thinking they're gonna go to the ER that day. And for many people, that is the absolute worst day of their life. So there's a good chance someday you're gonna end up in the ER for one reason for an- or another. But these are just the things I see on my end of the health spectrum, just where, where things just have reached ahead and, and it's just. It could have been prevented. Yeah. But I, I, I guess I internalize it more just saying, man, I don't want to end up in the ER with a heart attack. I don't want to. I'll do everything I can to prevent it because sure. it's just, it's not where you want to be. All right. Did you have, so you said you had so many that coming up with just five was tough. Why oh, don't you man. just kind of rattle off some of the other options and, and just, I can't imagine there's more, but. There's more stuff. There's wear eye protection. <laughs> you know, it is Christmas yeah. time. Wear eye protection. Don't don't play with the BB gun. Yeah, don't play with the BB gun. If you have a bottle rocket in a bottle on the 4th of July and it doesn't launch, don't hold it up to your eye to look at it and see what's going on in there. Not, not recommended. Yeah. Abdominal pain. People okay. are like, what's the most common thing you see in the ER? It's not heart attacks. It's not trauma. It's abdominal pain. And how could that have been prevented? The the most common underlying cause of abdominal pain is constipation. Uh, Try to have a good bowel uh, regimen. Yeah, just eat more fiber. Take a stool softener, you know, things like that. I think that's great just to avoid that pain and discomfort and trips to the ER. Uh, And then there's cancer too. We see so many complications of cancer. And there are certain factors, you know, things you can do to prevent cancer, whether it's it's reducing alcohol intake. Again, smoking, we talked about that. We even had that article, we talked about short bursts of activity. We're just like going, just taking the stairs and just those short bursts of activity were shown to reduce cancer risk. Um, yeah. So cancer is a big one as well. So those are just a few things that, uh, again, the list could go on. But sure. um, And what are those little things that you can do? I like your phrasing of it, Troy. Like, I'm going to do everything I can to prevent that from happening. It doesn't guarantee that it's yeah. not going to happen. Right. Um, you could be 100% on all of it. And just for whatever reason, it, it does happen. But, you you know, there are things that one could do to try to prevent it. Yeah. And the more and the more you do, the better, you know, your chances. So exactly. I, I, I like that phrasing. All right. Well, thank you very much, Troy, ghost of health future. I'm going to go ahead and wave goodbye to you now. <laughs> thank you for showing us <laughs> thank you. what we were the path we don't want to take and the, uh, right. the path we do want to take. If you have any thoughts on today's episode, any feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Hello at thescoperadio.com. Hello at thescoperadio.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for caring about men's health. God bless us, everyone. <laughs> <Aww>. Thanks, Mitch. <laughs>